Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Steve Davidson with this week's message. Well, good morning to you. On behalf of my family, I want to say a special word of thanks for your welcoming spirit and your just including us as a part of of our church family. We our first Sunday was Easter Sunday of this uh, this last spring, and uh, we came and just fell so much uh, apart. We uh, really got to enjoy listening to Ken preach and enjoy. Uh, I've enjoyed visiting with him and um, enjoying the worship experience here. Uh, my wife, um, I hope this doesn't color your image of my message this morning, but she chose to go do the Nike Women's Marathon rather than come hear me teach this morning. <laughs> I mean, some people will go to any lengths to miss church, particularly when I'm, I'm here. But um, So you, you be sure and kid her next week when we, you see her. But... Um, I am a math teacher at American Canyon High School. Um, why, I'm not really certain. Um, why I'm up here, I'm not really certain. Um, my number one fear in life is standing in front of people talking. So if you see glow, I do not sweat. If you see glow developing on my head, you'll know why. Um, but one of the things I, I have come to know over my 30-year journey as a Christ follower um, is that his promise is true. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not too much. It's not just a little short. What God asks us to do, he always gives us exactly the amount of strength and ability to do it. So uh, I pray that uh, God will take and use the passage of scripture we look at today to help be uh, uh, an instructor to all of us this morning. Um, in this short little passage, Ken and I have been had the, had the real privilege of spending some time just visiting with him. And um, we carve off a little time occasionally up at school during my prep time. I'm preparing just preparing for different things. But um, I, we got talking, and I said, you know, Ken, I said, one of my great heroes in the Scripture is a guy by the name of Barnabas. Now, he's not, uh, doesn't have lots of pages written him and lots of information about him, but in my mind, he really is one of my heroes. Now, a hero doesn't mean that everything about them is what I want to follow, um, but it says I see some characteristics or some qualities in this person that I really do want to make a part of my life. And so I want us today to think about this, continue our theme of living out loud with soft words of encouragement. Okay? So let's, um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, or it will also be on the screen if you want to follow along there. Uh, the book of Acts, as Ken told us at the start of this series, is the actions of the early church. It's not the beliefs of the early church, not the intentions of the early church. And it's, but it is a church in its infancy, trying to figure out how to do life. And that's one of the real joys I have in teaching high school is here are, the, here are these high school kids in their teenage years, and they know all the, what they've been given by their parents, and yet they're sitting here trying to decide, who am I going to be? What am I going to value? What, am, what kind of person am I going to be? What are my beliefs going to be? And just watching them kind of go through that process of growing and developing that's really what the stage where the church is at this point. It's really in its infancy here in Acts 11. 
And so we're going to look at that, and we're also going to look at this one man's life and his words of encouragement. Now, what causes people to get, to get discouraged? What are some things? Stress. Stress. Finances. Finances, yeah, financial troubles. What else? Heartache. Standing up in front of other people. <sighs> so I need a Barnabas with me today. Um, what else? Um, health issues, loss of a loved one, relationships in stress. Sometimes just doing relationships are stressful and they discourage us. Um, a job loss. All, all different things that come into our life that create discouragement. And so my hope is today that as we look at the story of this man and his ability to live out loud with soft words of encouragement, we'll better know how to do our life as a Christian. We'll learn how to better be an encourager of not only of our life, but those our immediate life circle and our extended circle of our church family. But even beyond that, what God has for us as a church family here in the Benicia area, the North Bay, California United States in our world. Because it's important as we look and see what kind of church ought we be. Peter asked that very question. In 1 Peter 3.11, he says, what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of, what, what kind of people ought we to be? You see, the identity and reputation of a church are really key in helping us understand how to become effective as a church. Identity. That's who we think we are. Reputation. That's who they think we are. Okay? And part of our ability to achieve the goals that God has for us as a people is to, first of all, say, do we know what the center of our target is? What does God want us to shoot at? What are the goals he has for our church? And then second of all, how do, those, how do the people of Benicia and all of this area of the of the Bay Area, how do they, when they hear the name Northgate Christian Fellowship, I wonder what comes to their mind. If they're sitting home today watching the NFL, if they, if an ad, we have an ad that comes on that says, here's Northgate Christian Fellowship, I wonder what, oh, I know that, and here's what they would know. I wonder what they would know if we asked them. And so it's important, um, as I look back to my high school years, and I realize <laughs> that was a whole long time ago, <laughs> it was <laughs> a number of years. Um, I, re- I do remember one thing from English. English was not my strong suit. That's why I'm a math teacher now. Um, but I remember the English teacher said that when you read a, a, a story or a document or some sort of book or something, ask yourself six questions. Who? What? When? Where? Okay. So we're going to just take... See, I told you. Listen, the good thing is, if I can get it, I know you can. Okay? I'm not, I don't know near as much as Pastor Ken does. I'm just a simple fellow. I came from the pew. I came from the chair. I came up here. Hey, I'm just one of you guys, okay? Um, so, as we look at it, we're going to ask those six questions of this passage of Scripture because it's essential that we understand what God's vision for our church is. The writer of Proverbs, in Proverbs 29, 18, says, Where there is no vision... The people perish. Unless we see what God wants us to do and we get busy about doing that thing, then we may cease to exist. God may not allow us to survive. And so that's what we need to to, to look at. 
So, we're going to start off asking the question, who? Acts chapter 11, 19 through 20, we find these words. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, Ken talked about the very first message, Acts 1.8. We're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, we read our way through book of Acts, and we go through Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and the church is still in Jerusalem. Here we find them several months, probably as much as five or ten years. They're still there. God says, I want you to go start here. Then go to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they're still sitting in Jerusalem going, aren't we having a fun little party here? And so when we don't do what God wants us to do, when he simply asks us, then he tries to look for creative ways to help us do what he wants us to do. To be faithful to his calling to our existence. And so sometimes, you know, God's a whole lot more concerned about our obedience than our comfort. And so what did he do to them? He said he brought some persecution their way. Why? Because if there's a whole lot of persecution in Jerusalem, where are they going to go? Anywhere but Jerusalem, right? So they start spreading out. Oh, gee, that's exactly what God said to do in the first place. So sometimes God may use some hardships to move us in a direction that he's been trying to move us all along, but we just kind of have been digging our feet in and not moving. So here is the early church. It says they were telling the message. They were telling the good news. That's a great thing. Well, the first part says they were telling a message to the Jews. Well, that was people who shared, who were like them, had a common faith in, a, in, a simil, in, in the same God, but just didn't understand the purpose of Jesus yet. And so they were going out telling the Jewish people, and that was a great thing, and everybody was fine with that. And then some of them started talking to people that weren't just like us. They were Gentiles. Now, why did they separate themselves so much all through the course of Israel, they were called upon oftentimes by the prophets to separate themselves from the world so that you wouldn't be tainted by its, its influences, right? But God says, my purpose in this world is not to come into some little holy little club. God wants us to go out and share his message in our world. So it was a growing process, a growing process to understand that they were not going to be just a Jewish Christianity, you see, one of God's challenges for us is always that we need to understand is we're not to be a club here on this hill for the already saved. We're not supposed to be just a Christian club that gets together on Sunday and says, oh, it's good to see you. How was your week? Here's mine. And then we go home and we do our thing. No, God wants, God has a mission for us to accomplish. There are people today who are in Benicia and this area that do not know Jesus Christ, do not even have a clue what that means. And our job is to go out and help them understand that message. God wants us to help others know his love and forgiveness. Now, a couple weeks ago, um, Ken challenged us to pray for boldness to be witnesses. How many of you have been praying for boldness? Okay, good. Hey, good job. <laughs> we went, when we met, when my small group, we just started a small group. And so we're in that small group. We started talking about praying for boldness. 
And, you know, we kind of came to the decision, we really didn't need to pray for boldness. We just needed to remember how incredibly great and how incredibly valuable it is to be a Christian. If I walked out and gave you a lottery ticket that I already scratched off, it had the right numbers, and it was worth $150 million, and I gave it to you, would you tell anybody? (sighs) Would you tell your boss tomorrow, No, why would you would you would go home and you would call probably everybody but family because family would be over with an open wallet, right? <laughs> Saying, okay, you got your share now. Hey, let's let's share with the family. Um, but you you wouldn't even hesitate. You would be telling everybody you saw. Why? Because of its incredible value. Too many of us have just forgotten how great it is. What God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And becoming a Christian is, has such great value. Now, but time is our worst enemy. How many of you have been Christians more than 20 years? It's been 20 years since you've accepted Christ. Okay. How many of you between 15 and 20? Or let's just go 10 and 20. 10 and 20. Okay, how many between 5 and 10? Okay, and how many less than 5? 1, 2, 3. Okay, now, now, hence this is not, we're not going to judge this this group. The other, first service was exactly the same ratios. Which is, we have relatively few people attending our services on Sunday that we've led to the Lord in the last 10 years. And so what I think God wants us to do is, whoa, wait a second. We've been really busy about being Christian, and we've been really busy fellowshipping with each other, and, I'm not, and I don't even know enough to even evaluate, Ken, so this is not a, a judgment on our, on our church, because I'm us now. I'm us. I'm, we... We've signed our card. We've done all the membership things. We've done it. And, the, and as soon as I signed it, Pastor Ken says, okay, you can teach one Sunday. <laughs> so be, can, be watch it. If you sign the membership thing, you might be up here. Okay? So even if that is your greatest fear. So who are we? We are God's people. We need to remember that. We're not perfect. We've made mistakes in life. We need God's forgiveness. We also share in the fact that God loves each one of us so much that he let his son Jesus die on the cross for our sins. He offers that gift to us as a free gift. And the other thing that probably most of us share is that someone at some time told us about Jesus. So that's who we are. We are God's people from all walks of life, all nationalities, All kinds of personalities, but we are saved by God's grace, and we've been given the privilege to share with him in sharing the message of Jesus Christ around our world. Second question, what are we to be doing? Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Wow, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We saw a baptism video here just a second ago. What do we have? About 
10, 12? A little less. It's pastoral numbers. You always inflate a little. Six? Okay, six people were baptized. That was really pastoral or ministerial count, wasn't it? I always wonder when they said there were 5,000 out there. If there really were 5,000. Did they count them? Okay. Anyway, but we had this great opportunity. A, what would be a great number of people to be baptized? A hundred? Hundreds? Okay. Um, one of the greatest joys of my life was to be a part of our, our church in, in Kansas City. Um, and God took a little group of us of 150 and... In eight years, we were running over 5,000. It was so beyond us, it wasn't even funny. Every Sunday we sat there and we averaged between four and 500 adult confessions, professions of faith and baptisms a year. I could not take and add up all of our gifts. Even if I added everybody's gifts, it wouldn't get there. It was a God kind of thing. Okay? But people took seriously the responsibility to spread the message of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden it took off. But talk about the feeling. We all talked about the responsibility we felt working at the church for to not mess up. Every day it was like, I, I, Lord, please help me not to make any kind of moral lapse with your kingdom's work. And so a great number of people believed uh, believed and turned to the Lord. Now, one of the phrases I heard, statements I heard a long time ago, and it stuck with me, again, it, it just, I need these simple little things. So the main thing for the church, our main task, is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. See, we can get busy doing all kinds of stuff, and I love all the different ministries that we have. But if in the midst of walking for water and and doing trick-or-treat and all of that, we forget that our primary task is leading people to faith in Jesus, then we've missed it. So the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. He says, here's the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower, to believe that is to have place your faith. Yes, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, it was for me. And then to turn. Turn is simply that word that meant repentance. It was a military term. I'm marching. I come, I'm confronted with God's love. I realize that Jesus died for me. Oh my gosh. I shouldn't be living my life this way. When a soldier realizes he's going the wrong way, he does a about face. That's that word. It means to make an about face and go, instead of going my way, go God's way. So what are we to be doing? We're to be busy about the task of leading people to Jesus. Plain and simple. That's the main thing. Three, where? Where are we to be doing it? Well, we've already kind of talked about that in talking about Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And then we see in Acts 11, they've gone to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And so they've been sharing it. We are to be sharing it everywhere we go. Does that mean at home? Do we need to share with our kids? 
Do we need to share with grandkids? Yes. Do we need to share on our job? Yes. Do we need to share at the mall? Oh, boy, I went to meddling there. All the ladies were going, yes, yes. No, the mall's for shopping. <laughs> My wife's motto is the mall is all. I don't know, don't understand that. All I know is her disposition improves when I take her and walk her around the mall. Again, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but so I take my wife to the mall at least once a month and say, honey, let's go, go for a walk at the mall. <laughs> now, see, I can go, and she's off, say, doing her marathon thing today, but the worst thing for me is the mall shuffle. <laughs> touch, touch, touch. <laughs> touch, touch, touch. That woman has to touch everything in the mall. She doesn't shop with her eyes. She shops with her hands. So we're to be doing it there when we eat out. Yes. Um, when we're traveling, a gas station attendant in the middle of nowhere? Yes. When we're on vacation? Yes. Okay. So where are we to be doing it? Everywhere. The fourth question, why? Why are we to be doing God's mission? Verse 22 through 24. News of this, the antecedent, those of you English people, is the telling of the Gentiles. News of this, uh-oh, you've stepped across the line. You start telling the Gentiles now. They're, you're letting them in on our party. So it says, they, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Why are we to be doing it? Well, he says it's a part of being true to the Lord. This is what God expects of us. Okay? If I'm going to, we use it all, that same kind of terminology um, about being, I, I speak about being true to my wife. That doesn't mean I'm just sexually pure to her. That means to be true to her means, honey, what do you need? Honey, what do you want? My job is to, to try to be part of the resources that God wants and that she needs in her life. To be true to her means to say, honey, what do you need? Honey, what do you want? You're sick. If you're feeling sick, what can I do to help? Honey, you're feeling overpressed with, with work and, and home duties. What can I do to help? That's what it means to be true. It's not just, I'm just going to say I'm true and no. It means I put action to it. So, um, now, how did you become a Christian? Were you walking along one day and all of a sudden, a bright white light shone all around you? I kind of know what that feels like. <laughs> Lord, is it you? Are you taking me home? Please get me out of this. <laughs> Told you. I'm glowing. No. How many had that kind of experience? That's how you became a Christian. The bright light from heaven shone around you. The glory of the Lord shone around you. And the lights are so bright, Ken, I can't see the hands. How many of you, though, became a Christian because someone told you about Jesus? Jesus. 
my goodness. So which strategy should we employ as a church? Pray for bright lights? No. See, God's method of people coming to know the good news of the gospel is you and me. It's you and me. So why God wants us to share with others just like someone shared with you. God's method of evangelizing the world is for you and I to share with others just like someone shared with us and led us to faith in Christ. Okay, now I know you go, yeah, yeah, okay. See, we've heard all this. Have any, anybody, has anybody heard anything new so far? I haven't taught them anything, Pastor. You want to finish? Come find something new. They've not learned anything from me. They've wasted their time this morning. No. But you see, here's where I think this very next question and this very next morsel of Scripture for me has changed my life. Because it's the how. How are we to be doing God's mission? Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now, Barnabas, his name means, what does his name mean? Encourager. Literally, son of encouragement. Was that his real name? No. Larry will be pleased. What was his real name? Huh? Joseph. He put the verse on the, on the screen last week. We won't tell him, oh, he's listening to the podcast. He told me he was going to. Oh, well, now he knows that we didn't remember. No, his name was Joseph. But they said, every time we're around you, we walk away feeling so much better. You know people like that? Are you that kind of person? You see, that's why he's a hero for me. I may not be able to do a whole lot in life, and I'm not a superstar, and I'm not great at, at very much of anything. I'm pretty average. I'm so down to earth, I'm usually muddy, okay? <laughs> you combine dust and sweat, and it's mud, okay? Um, I'm just down to earth, okay? I'm, I'm not a superstar, never will be. But if God can use me to help others come to faith in Christ, that's good enough for me. So why... Now, so it says he went to look for he went to look for Saul. Why was he going to look for Saul? Where was Saul at? I thought he was a church leader. Where was he? Well, remember, he was saved on the road to Damascus. Why was he going to Damascus? Persecute the Christians. And he had a bright light experience. Doesn't happen very often, but it did with Saul. So now here's the number one persecutor of Christians coming back to Jerusalem saying to the church in Jerusalem, praise God, I'm a Christian. Give me a hug. Extend the right hand to Christian fellowship. And they said, <laughs> but there was one guy that stood up and said, I'll stand up on your behalf. His name was Barnabas. And despite that, the church still would not embrace Paul. So for three years, he went off into the desert. And for the next 11 years, he went back to Tarsus, his hometown. Discouraged. Confused. What in the world happened to me on the road to Damascus? 
what is God trying to say? I don't know. And so there's no record of him doing anything for the Christian faith for 14 years after his conversion. Totally discouraged. And Barnabas says, wait a second. I need somebody that can speak to both Jews and Gentiles and can be clear about this gospel thing and knows what it's like to deal with this struggle of identity. Wait a second. There's a a guy by the name of... uh, That's right, Saul. I think he was from uh, Tarsus. That's right. He had a Gentile parent and a Jewish parent. So he understood both sides. So he says, I'm going to go see if I can find him. So he goes back to Tarsus and he looks around. Does anybody know Saul? Anybody know Saul? Oh, there he is. Brings him back to Antioch. Well, is Saul immediately a, a benefit to the church? No. He's so discouraged, he won't, he won't even hand out bulletins. He won't mow the grass. So he won't do anything. So he was completely discouraged. Apparently Paul was not doing anything for the Lord. The Holy Spirit, though, brings sensitivity to our lives, uh, brings sensitivity to others in our lives. The main reason we lose sensitivity is we just kind of get so busy. We lose total track of what's going on around us. I read this story in a newspaper. It was a story about a South Carolina businessman. He was driving home late one night. He'd been out on a business trip. He was totally discouraged. His wife had called him that morning to tell him she was going to leave him. His job neither brought satisfaction. And so as he's driving, he just begins to accelerate faster and faster. And suddenly, all all of a sudden, he realizes he loses control of his car. Off the side, down an embankment, rolls down into a ravine. Well, he didn't remember the report was he didn't remember how long he was unconscious. But when he came to, he tried to discover some portion of his body that would respond. But to his utter horror, he realized he seemed to be totally paralyzed. And arms wouldn't move. Legs wouldn't move. He couldn't move a finger. There was nothing that would move. And he laid there for hours, and then eventually he heard voices coming down the hill. They were paramedics coming to get him. As they extricated him from the car and began to put him on the gurney to take him up, put him in the ambulance to take him to the next town. He heard one of them say to the other, he must have died instantly. They put him on the gurney, put him in the back of the ambulance to take him to the next town to prepare him what would be his final resting spot in life. When at the last minute as they were loading him, one of the paramedics looked down and said, Look, he's not dead. He's crying. And there's people who are sitting in their homes watching the NFL this morning that have no clue that they're lost without Jesus. Their lives are hurting. They're discouraged. They don't know the hope that you and I know that we have a God that loves us and will direct us through our life. You see... We think that we know what their needs are, but ultimately our opportunity to share the good news with them comes through, uh, comes through the needs they feel like they have. I mean, I can go out and say, oh, God knows that your number one need is salvation. If they thought their number one need was salvation, where would they be right now? Here. If, if they thought that, they don't. So they're home watch, watching TV or doing something in the yard, going doing some other things. 
Our opportunity comes from developing the ability to listen. People's greatest need from God's perspective is salvation. But in their mind, their greatest from their perspective, their greatest need is either a family need, a life need, one of those discouragers in life. Now, so Barnabas goes and gets Saul. Was that a significant thing? Don't know. But you know, Paul was sitting there doing nothing for 14 years. And now he brings him back, and he slowly begins to encourage him and help him along and help him grow in his Christian faith to the place where then finally Saul becomes one of the leaders. And they decide together they're going to go out on missionary journeys. And they go on the first missionary journey and then the second missionary journey and then the third missionary journey. And Paul becomes the great spokesman of Christianity. But if Barnabas had not gone and gotten him, he might never have been re-engaged, be encouraged to re-engage ministry. It took someone coming alongside saying, I can feel your pain. I want to encourage you. And so if he had not done that, then we wouldn't have had the missionary journeys. And if Paul hadn't gone on the missionary journeys, he wouldn't have written letters back to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And he probably wouldn't have written letters back to individual people such as 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And Hebrews, if you think he wrote Hebrews... Well, if he hadn't gone and encouraged Paul, Paul might never have re-engaged ministry, and we'd, we just lost half our New Testament. And on the first missionary journey, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Great. They took John Mark. Partway through, John Mark, a young teenager, gets discouraged, gets homesick, wants to go back home, so he does. Get ready for the second missionary journey. Barnabas says, I, I see the potential in this young man. Let's take him with us. And Saul says, no, don't think we will. He left us last time. We're not going to take him again. They had such a strong disagreement, Paul took uh, Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and they went on a missionary journey. As a result, John Mark gets re-engaged in ministry and he writes chronologically the very first gospel that we have in our scripture called the Gospel of Mark. If he hadn't written the Gospel of Mark, Matthew and Luke never may have taken the framework of that and applied it to a specific group of people. And if they hadn't written that, then Lord knows probably John never would have written his gospel. And Luke, if he didn't write the gospel, probably would have never written the Acts of the church. So if he didn't encourage Saul, and then he didn't encourage John Mark, we only got three books left. We don't have much left. Now, he's not a superstar. You never see him in lights, and he's no big guy, no big great fellow. But his impact of being an encourager changed the lives of those around him. So when, that's a simple, the simple's now. The people, were, the people of Antioch called the believers Christians for the first time in Antioch. So when we get these six questions right, the who, what, when, where, why, and how, our lives become useful in God's hands. People see the love of God in us. And people around us are encouraged. And people who are discouraged find hope in Jesus Christ. Now... If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, and you say, I don't know enough, but I, boy, I'm really interested in knowing about that. I want to end this cycle of discouragement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to take the communication card from your seat, put your name on the front and your, commun- and your information, and on the back there's a little box that says, I'd like to know what it means to be a Christian. 
And people from this church that genuinely care about your eternity and your present will come and, in the privacy of your home, talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian and you're here today, you've already acknowledged that every one of you who's a Christian became a Christian because of someone else. Here's my challenge to you. I want you to take the same communication card in just a second, put your name on the front, and on the back where it says comment, I want you to put the name of the person that most was responsible for you coming to faith. If they are still alive, I'm going to challenge you before the sun sets today to write them a note or an email saying, thank you. You were instrumental. God used you to help me become a Christian. Thank you. Now, if that person has already gone to be with the Lord, post a comment in their honor on your Facebook or something like that. Or just write a card and put it in your Bible to them. So that's going to be my challenge to you in just a second. Now, the the final question, and I'm done. You guys have all thought about the people that were those people for you. That you're a Christian because of them. How many people today are a Christian because of you? We need to be Barnabases in this world. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.